I suppose if I were to be honest, if I was a greeting card uh, cartoonist or greeting card, um, what are those guys called? The guys that do that write greeting cards. Yeah, I guess if I was a greeting card writer, I would probably be hanging out at the stores that they sold them, like hiding behind the little carousel. You know, where they're displayed, and when people walk by, I'd just kind of casually point out, Oh, look at this one. Meaning mine. And go, hmm. God, this would really... This is a good one. You should, get, you should buy this one. You guys want to buy this one? So... Yeah, I would be that. I would I would be some kind of strange. It, the idea came to me when I was um killing time. I met up with uh, my lady for lunch uh, uh on the way in to work and I uh she had to go. She had to she was forging some documents of some sort, I don't know. She's up to some some obviously uh ill-advised scheme where she needed a whiteout and she wanted to go to the Dollar Tree to get it. Which is a good, you know, Dollar Tree is a good little hack for, like, uh, the basics. Just, you know, mm, you know, paper towels, water, whiteout. So I, t- I followed her over there and I, I was just kind of wandering around. They got greeting cards. They got books. They got... It's wild. Like, it's a whole thing in there. It's a whole civilization. It's, you know, you can buy food there for, like, a dollar. And, uh, but there's a whole greeting card section. So I'm just like, like, what are, what what goes on in the world of dollar dollar store greeting cards? Like, I would, in Don me, like, yeah, if I was a greeting card, if I, if I, if I wrote greeting cards... I would, uh, <laughs> I would just be, I'd probably be hiding behind the little kiosk. Just be like, buy that one. Just buy that one. That's a good one. But, uh, but I was, uh, looking at their, I was looking at their, uh, books, like the actual books. And, um, they had, well, most of it's garbage. Um, most of it's weird. Um, most of it you, you, you would do, you would do yourself a favor to avoid, but, but I came across this one. Well, it was a, it was a crime novel and it looked kind of legit. Matter of fact, the, the, artwork on the cover looked really interesting like very hard-boiled it was called the lucky at cards and it was by this guy lawrence block and i'm like that, that why does that name sound so familiar and um sure enough like he's like a legit he's like a legit novelist like a, like a crime novelist um and uh, he's been recognized for some big awards for mystery writers and stuff like that. You know, he's up there kind of, you know, in the same vein as like uh, Raymond Chandler, maybe, or Dashiell Hammett, or uh, 
I thought for a second, I thought, Lawrence Block, is that the guy that was in Reservoir Dogs? Because Reservoir because in the, in the movie, the guy that played Joe, the, the, the kind of the orchestrator of the entire group, uh, his name is Lawrence Tierney. And then, but all, but, but Tarantino had a, one of the guys, uh, was Eddie Bunker in the, in, he was Mr. Blue, I believe. And Eddie Bunker is a real life crime novelist. Um, he's a, I mean, he's not much of an actor. It's more, it was, I think it was more of a novelty to put him in the movie because it was kind of like a hard boiled LA type movie situation, which Eddie Bunker is probably that guy, you know, up there with like, you know, George Pelicanos or, uh, James Elroy is another one. He's great kind of hard boiled, right? Straightforward shit. Pretty straightforward gumshoe types what a funny term to gumshoe like back in the day i guess people probably repaired their shoes with gum like if you're flat you kind of little broke a little you know you're trying to make stuff last but uh anyway this so this book lucky at cards i thought well, that's good you know what this might be the this is the maybe this is that one book that's kind of was going to break me out of this rut this kind of like this this stagnation period. I'm like, what the fuck am I? You know, I got to read something. And sometimes it's nice to kind of scale it down a little. You don't have to read like all the Nobel laureates books. You don't have to read like Gabriel Garcia Marquez or Salman Rushdie or fucking. Doesn't always have to be these grand novels. You know, these that are that are chiseling away at life's riddles sometimes it's nice to, i i had a i i even had like a james elroy phase way back in the day i read a few of his books like uh black dahlia was a good one uh i think i read brown's requiem which was his first one uh la confidential he's a trip that guy he um he used to he used to be a drug addict and then he would, but he was a cat. He, he, he spent a lot of his early days as a caddy. So he'd be on his, on his feet all day, just hustling, uh, caddy jobs and, um, making money. And then he'd live in an old, like, I think he lived like in a hotel, some, some, some little dilapidated little shithole, you know? And he spent his nights standing up writing. I don't know why he stood up, but he was constantly on his feet. I don't know what that had to do with anything, but... Um, and then he would just write and write and write and write. And it was really... Um, he's kind of a... He's a bit of a psychopath. He's a bit of a kind of a... a he's a hardcore dude, you know? Um, he didn't really care about the whole... You know, when they made movies on his books, you know? Like, they made one out of uh, L.A. Confidential... They made one, I think they made one out of Black Dahlia, I think, but he's like, I don't give a fuck what you guys do with this, just give me the check, <laughs> he's like, I don't, because you're going to fuck it up anyways, right, because his mind was always like racing, 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 I think he was into like Benzedrine, he was into Benzos, like, I think he was a speedhead or something, 
And uh, anyway, he's a, he's a wild one, but he's a fucking great novelist. And his, his, his books kind of have like a real jazz thing going. Like there's a real... There's a real flow, a real jazz flow to it, right? And um, so you've got to kind of get into the rhythms because it's really just blocks of these sentences. They're just... Um, you got to kind of unlock the flow. But other, but if you can do that, it's kind of a straightforward theme. It's usually about murder, like the Black Dahlia, the unsolved case of who killed this woman. Um, hard-boiled types, mostly L.A. T- types because he was uh, from L.A. And, uh, but uh, no nonsense, just straight hard-boiled, just straight, straight shooter, which was kind of what I'm getting on... on from this book, this Lawrence Block book, which um, is a, it's a period setting from the 50s. This guy, he's a, he's a shark, he's a card shark, lives out of hotels. Um, he, he's a hustler. He gets roughed up here and there. He goes to, he goes to, uh, he get, you know, he goes to like, uh, you know, the, the, the counter at the pharmacy and has a couple of, hamburgers for lunch like it's just the weirdest shit it's like a total 50 shit like 30 cents for a hamburger or some shit you're like what the fuck hard-boiled gumshoe weird you know straightforward no nonsense funny shit right and uh but i thought uh inter- how interesting yeah it, it's nice to get it's it's not a matter of you're not and it's not that you're slowing things down or you're dumbing it down a little like it's it's a style like those those hard-boiled detective books are there's a style to them and it's cool it's really it's a good way to kind of cleanse your palate if you're kind of a pretentious kind of literary snob you know you can you can work your way through a couple of those and it's they're usually like nice clean it's very they're all very clean they're all those guys had a real it's a lot like Hemingway very straightforward very you know no messing around no fat there's no fat on any of the sentences. It's just a straightforward shit, right? Good shit. So, um, what else? To, oh, so I got that book. Oh, and I found a Frisbee, like a killer Frisbee, like a good looking, like a, it looks like a competition Frisbee at a fucking dollar store, right? So, um, <laughs> I just, I kind of, uh, like, I got very proprietary about it, and I, I kind of created this scenario in my head, like, it's my, it's like my, my Frisbee conversation, like, you, you know, you better not, don't, you know, don't, don't touch my Frisbee. It's a lot like uh, the Step Brothers, uh, in the movie Step Brothers, the conversation about the drums, like, don't, don't touch my Frisbee, I've got a Frisbee now, I got it, and it's a good Frisbee, and you better not touch my Frisbee, don't, don't even look at my Frisbee, better yet. Don't even think about frisbees for for that matter, or or anything that starts with the letter F. Oh, I put my balls on your frisbee. You better fucking didn't. You better fucking didn't put your balls on my frisbee. I did. I'll fuck you up. Don't fucking touch my frisbee. So after that maniacal rant, I um, I made my way out of the dollar store <laughs> after everybody was looking at me strange, but. So, uh, but I, I finally, I kind of, um, I kind of broke the, uh, broke out of my rut with, um, the whole Lawrence Block novel thing. And it's, it, and it's very good. I enjoy, I'm enjoying it. And, 
it kind of, and, and oddly enough, okay, it's like a serendipitous moment. This is, this is what I mean by serendipity is now that I'm kind of on this, you know, kind of on this kick with these little dime store novels, like there's a genre for it. There's a definite, like, it's kind of like Quentin Tarantino's book that he novelized, uh, he novelized his last movie, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It reads the same. It's, the idea is it's a dime store book. It's It's got that same tone. It's got that same beat, the same tempo, the same pattern. It's really, it's, it's fascinating. And so you start to, like I've always talked about patterns, patterns, patterns. Everything's just, there's patterns for everything, right? Um, there's patterns that uh, are documented in these algorithms that will tell you there's a whole... Um, there's a whole database that charts algorithms and stuff like that for the consumer buying uh, when it comes to stuff like cars, for example. And, and, these, and they take over 200 factors uh, into this database that will determine how and when and why and at what point you're going to buy a, a car. And with unbeknownst to you, the pattern is so pervasive you don't even know about it, but it predicts within a span of, I think, a month and a half or two months when you're going to buy a car because of how you buy cars, when you buy. Because there are people that do that. Like my, my, my old manager, Casey, he had a guy, always, he would always buy on Halloween for whatever reason, October 31st. He came in, he told me one time, he came in like on the 30th. He's like, hey, what are you doing here? You ready to do this? You ready to buy? Nope. Nope. Just looking, just sizing it up, and Casey's. And Casey was a savage. Like he just, he wouldn't let anybody leave until they had, you know, a car around them. And, uh, but he 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 kind of trusted this pattern, right? That he'll be back tomorrow because, you know, the old saying: "Buyers are liars." It's the whole. It's the whole hard-boiled car car dog buying notion that buyers are liars, you know, I'll be back. No, you won't. Can I have your card? No. Cause you're not going to call me. You're just trying to get out of here, but he let him go and he came back the next day and bought and it's fascinating. So these factors that do that predict it's something to do. I think it's like a JD power and associates, uh, kind of algorithm that predicts that, uh, that, um, you know, it's based on like whether you put money, you know, because people are creatures of habit. You know, they typically are work within certain perimeters. Whether you, you know, you always put money down, you never put money down, you always buy new, you never buy new, you always buy used, you know, stuff like that. You never trade in, I always trade in. There's just all those factors. What day of the week, what time of the month, what season, and it's legit, like it, 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 it hits the bullseye when, and you don't even realize it. It's so, it's so habitual, right? These patterns, it's fascinating. It's like, um, you, you see, you see it, 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 it work in like regular life too. Like I, you know, every time I'm out on my bullshit little hikes here and I come up to a stop sign or a, or a stoplight for that matter. There's cars that are going to go right and they see me and they're not going to stop. And I know that. And I know damn well, I'm not stupid. I'm not going to test them because I know they don't give a fuck. So they're, you know, even though I got it the right away, I know they're going to blast through that red light, you know, 
they're going to stop and then they're going to make a right. And they, and they're going to look at me and they're going to, their eyes are going to get big. Like, you know, like they think I'm going to fuck them up, but I just know there's just, that's, that's their life. That's their fucking, you know, that's, that's their life. That's, that's how they run their life. You know, they're first, they're, they're first in their world. You know, they don't, it's a, it's a, it's one of those, uh, it's like a, a, a horse with blinders. It's like a tunnel vision thing. That's how they're always going to be, you know? So you're, you just got to be resigned to that, right? Like you can tell if you're a, if you're one of those Joe Rogan f- fanatics, you can kind of see his patterns too. There's never one on Monday. There'll be one on Tuesday. Tuesday will be like, um, typically somebody, maybe a friend or a fellow comedian, Tony Hinchcliffe or fucking Brian Redband or, you know, and then uh, the next day it'll be maybe um, somebody that is a friend of his, but also kind of they, they're in a different kind of sector of things. Maybe it'd be like uh, Bridget Fetacy, who is still topical, has her own podcast and talks about, you know, fucked up politics and all that shit. And then the third day might be a, on Thursday would be like somebody kind of out of left field, a scientist or a strange person, engineer, mountaineer, weirdo, free solo climber, somebody that, you know, you know, took a dog sled across the Arctic or some funky weirdo. And, uh, and if, and if, and if not, then it would be like an MMA podcast. It'd be somebody that specifically like his, uh, um, you know, the guys that, uh, that he'll have in that he, that he, when he calls the UFC games or the UFC matches, right. He'll have one of those fighters on and it's strictly all about fighting. So you're like, ah, fuck, you know, and then Friday, nothing. <laughs> Sometimes it'll be a Saturday. It'll be like Adam Curry or some weird, you know, somebody, they're all kind of, they're all buddies. They're all friends or be like Duncan Trussell, you know? But it's like a rotate, you can kind of count on it. 10 a.m. It's never loaded until 10 a.m. And it's the pattern. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, sometimes Saturday. 10 a.m. Boom. Never before. And never too late. But but uh, speaking of podcasts, though, I was listening to... Um, I was listening to... Uh, I saw an Instagram post by... Uh, John Krakauer, the guy that wrote uh, Into Thin Air about the the doomed Everest hike that he was on that lost uh, four of the five guys he was with. And he's all, he also wrote the book Into the Wild about Chris McCandless. And um, he had made a, suge- he made a suggestion to check out this. Uh, they did a, a little podcast, this, this woman, her name is Sarah Marshall. And um, no relation to the movie Forgetting Sarah Marshall. But um, she talks about Chris McCandless to this woman who she, I guess, is her guest by the name of uh, Blair Braverman, who is a, uh, what was her, she was like a, she said she's a musher. And a writer and adventurer. So she knows, like, uh, speaking of, like, yeah, I did her odds and dog sled teams. This Blair Braverman um, is just that. She's a, 
She writes, she writes about her adventures, and, and her adventures are mushing. She's a musher. That's what she called herself, a musher. I'm a musher. And um, so they, so she was a guest of this girl, Sarah Marshall, on this podcast. It was called um, You're Wrong About, which is like, I don't know, you're wrong about, um, it's usually like the consequences of a situation that most people were led to believe one thing when it turned out to be another. The crux of this one was the accidental death of Chris McCandless, the subject of the book um, Into the Wild, which they made a movie about. Sean Penn directed it with uh, Emile Hirsch, which is very, it's a very good movie. It had like um, Vince Vaughn was in it and uh, the girl Kristen something from the one that was in the Twilight movies who turned, oh, I can't think of her last name, but um, and, and, uh, who's, oh, God, the other, I'm, God, I'm getting worse with names here, but, um, anyway, very good cast, very good movie, the story goes that he, this is a kid that, um, basically just kind of for, he, he, he kind of for, he, he, he decided to forego all of his kind of worldly possessions and he just wanted to like escape and just disappear. And he, and, 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 and essentially he did. He graduated from uh, Georgetown, I believe. Super smart guy. Very intense, very determined. Very, uh, he's, he's a very, he's very much a purist in, in, in the way of life. And, and, uh, but he, he had some, family issues that he could never really get over, particularly pertaining to his father, who was a NASA engineer who basically led like a double life. He had two families. And when, I guess when Chris found this out, he was like, he was just devastated, really. So he decided he would kind of forego all of his kind of, uh, material possessions he got us he had scholarships and grants and stuff like that he donated most of that money was to something to the tune of like twenty four thousand dollars to like unicef burned his actual cash that he had he had a little i think he had like a little a little dotson or a little 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 bucket that he drove out to like the arizona desert where he bottomed out he got washed away in a flash flood he couldn't drive it anymore so he just left it he burned all his money and he sailed off into the wild. He took odd jobs here and there. He worked for uh, he worked for McDonald's in Arizona. He worked for a farmer in North Dakota, or North Dakota or South Dakota, one of the Dakotas. Bummed around. He uh, he kayaked four hundred miles of the Colorado River through the Grand Canyon when when asked about a permit, he was like, "What? What do you mean a permit? We don't need permits. Fuck that." So he kind of commandeered a kayak and uh, made his way down to Mexicali on his own um, until ultimately he ended up going up to Alaska, which is what that was his ultimate destination. And was he hitched a ride with a guy who um, gave him some better boots that he better than what he was wearing. And wandered off into the wilds of of Alaska. Fucking insane. And then he ended up 
crossing a small river that became a bigger river that kind of kept him kind of trapped in this territory for for uh, a good portion of the of of the season there and he found shelter on this bus a kind of an abandoned it was an abandoned bus that uh kind of stayed as a shelter for people kind of to get out of the weather or to find shelter you know protection from animals or wilderness and whatnot but what ultimately happened was he and he you know like i say he was a smart guy he graduated from georgetown um and uh was just a real uh academic when it came to research and studying like plants that you can live off of plants in the wild to eat um how to smoke meat he killed a moose he was trying to smoke it but it just was too much it was too big a project but it became he became kind of a real polarizing figure because he obviously wasn't from Alaska and ultimately what had happened was um he he stayed on this bus and he made it he made a go of it because he was free of all the kind of the crap in the world that forces people to kind of be not genuine just not very just he like I say he was a real purist but he made one small mistake and that was that he found it was a potato plant um or a potato weed that he thought was a potato weed it was mistake he um he wrote and he was writing in these uh real detailed journals about how he uh accidentally ate a it was a it was a potato plant of some it was called a potato plant and issue was that he had mistaken it for something else which turned out to be toxic he thought he had eaten the wrong thing and he thought that the toxicity of the plant was lead what it is what led to he had a he had basically had paralysis like he he became lethargic and this these toxins in his system kind of shut his body down and he couldn't move so consequently, he he ended up starving and he died. But the controversy was, and according to this podcast, you're wrong about you're wrong about the way he died. So they thought so. the 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 locals, the natives, the Alaskans, just like I say, he was a very polarizing character. And they thought that uh, well, this guy just came out of nowhere and he took he ate the wrong stuff and uh, he thought he could make a go of it and uh, and and it. Uh, and they thought, well, he deserved what he got, because you just, you, you know, you've got to respect the, you've got to respect the land and nature. But, but what the real matter was, and and credit to John Krakauer for do for doing the follow up research, is that this potato plant had, in actuality, he he didn't mistake it. He he ate the right. He ate what he thought was a potato plant. It was a potato plant, and it was supposed to be have sustenance, have nutrients. But in so doing, he, uh, I guess, the way he stored this, or he packaged it, it had accumulated some kind of um, like a mold, like a toxic mold, which is what ultimately was uh, what did him in. 
And he didn't realize that. Nobody realized that. So he, even when he shot the moose, local, local hunters came by and, and uh, saw the remnants of the moose he tried to smoke under all this peat and this dirt. And they're like, that ain't even a moose. You know, but this long after the fact, after it, after it decomposed, they thought it was a caribou. They said, this guy doesn't even know a moose from a caribou. Well, it turns out it was a moose. The hunters were wrong. So the, cons, the, 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 the follow-up that Krakauer did, it kind of, it, it basically exonerated Chris McCandless in his effort to kill the moose and determined it was a moose. And it also, in the subsequent research he did on the potato plant, turns out that, that there was a, a, a mold, a toxic mold, that was just a freak thing. Just a freak thing. He thought he'd eaten the wrong thing. He ate the right thing. It was the toxic mold that eventually paralyzed him and he couldn't move. And he was trapped. And he, he, when he died, he was 67 pounds. It was just tragic. Just tragic. He'd almost, almost pulled it off. Almost just got away with it. Almost got it. Just got away from just the drudgery of humanity. But, but in, in the end, in, in, in his journal... He, he finally, he wrote this, and this is all real. This isn't this is some kind of embellishment for the movie's sake. It was in, in the book and it was in his journal. And he said, you know, life is beautiful if you have somebody to share it with. You know, it, it kind of came, he, you know, he realized the kind of the folly of his ways, you know, even as much as he wanted to kind of disenfranchise himself from everything, he realized in the end, like you need people. People need people. You know, and that's true. People need people. It's, you know, it's a rough go without them. I mean, as crazy as people are, it's a rough go without them, you know? So, so that brings me back <laughs> to, oh, so my patterns. So my whole thing about patterns, right, is, so here we are in March again. Well, this time last year in March, I was just, I was, uh, I stumbled across the audio book, the audio version of uh, Charles Bukowski's book Women and I believe I did a podcast or two on that it's a good book straightforward very hard-boiled and that's what that's what you the beauty of a writer like Bukowski is he's just like those hard-boiled crime novelists like Dashiell Hammett Raymond Chandler uh, Lawrence Block you know James Elroy straightforward just what you read is what you get, not an ounce of fat on these sentences, right? There's no big grand theme. There's no, like, special, you know, ending, some twists, some wild paradox, some kind of, you know, answer to life's questions. It's just straightforward, just Bukowski just puking up his <laughs> his life with these these other women, these alcoholics, these dirtbags, these people that he works with and uh and it's really it's good like it you know that's the beauty of authenticity is like he's not going to tell you he's not going to sugarcoat anything he's straightforward you know this job sucks these people suck i suck i'm an alcoholic fuck you i just want to be left alone that's what he you know he was another guy that just wanted to do away with people he just he hated people he didn't want to be around it was you can and you can kind of you can see it in his writing, but here a year later. So a year later, 
after I find the Lawrence Block novel and I'm reading these great, you know, these lean, nice sentences, you know, it's good shit, right? I finally, I habitually, weirdly, oddly, find myself listening to, by happenstance, by pure chance, another Bukowski book. And uh, this time it's Post Office. I found uh, the audio version of Post Office on YouTube. That, which, that was his first book. That was when he worked at the post office. And uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's another, it's, it's straight Bukowski. No fat. Just straight lean. You know, this, this just really straightforward summaries of, you know, these weirdos that worked at the post office, people that, you know, the dogs that were, you know, these German shepherds that were trying, working their noses into it, into his crotch, these, you know, that he hated these, these customers that just are, they're all, you know, the one guy that just would not let you put his mail into the mailbox. He was there every day and wanted it put in his hand, you know, he would be damned if you would let you put that mail in his mailbox. It wasn't going to happen. He was, he was, it was impossible. It just wasn't going to happen. Just fascinating. Just strange. Just, you know, you don't, in, you know, you, you don't need to know why. It just is. That's just, you know, that's Bukowski. Just telling you like it is. Just the, the dregs of humanity. Just giving you the, the warts and all of these people, these weirdos, his life, his life, their lives, and uh, good shit, funny, funny shit, but, but in conjunction with, like, so this trip that I'm planning down to Santa Barbara, which I've already, I've, I've booked, uh, booked, uh, I've booked the accommodations, we're going down to the end of March, same time as last year when we were in Catalina, when I was listening to Bukowski again on the audiobook. Like these patterns don't lie. It's it's legit. It's real shit. So here I am. Oh, so oh, but here's a cool thing. So check this out. So I'm uh so I've already found the accommodations for um for uh where we're gonna stay. It's a cool little kind of a boutique little hotel uh across the street from the beach. And uh, I'm so I'm like looking like where now where's where are we gonna eat, you know? I was gonna I was asking my mom. My mom, she'd been down there years ago. Where do you go? Where's where's the best place to eat? And I thought, what the fuck? Look, I'm I'm I I'm gonna I'm following Jeff Gordon here on Instagram. I'll fucking message this guy. He used to be the New York Times critic, uh, or food food and beverage uh, critic. I mean, who better? to ask than him, right? So I message him, hey, I go, uh, hey, Jeff, big fan of the book, Hungry, as well as your kind of just general knowledge on food and planning a trip. I gotta, I'm gonna be down in Santa, uh, Santa Barbara in a few weeks. What uh, restaurants would you recommend? And uh, what did he say? <laughs> it's so, I thought, wow, how brilliant is that? Like fucking hit this guy up. And, uh, not that he's a huge, he's not, he's a, you know, he's not a huge celebrity of any sort, but he's like, he's, you know, he's been on, he's been a, uh, 
he's been a uh, he's been on like Netflix Chef's Table episodes. Um, he's been interviewed several times. Blah blah blah, and uh, about food and food related stuff and uh, chefs and restaurants and uh, so I go big fan. What do you? Re-? I go. Uh, I was reaching out because I'm going to Santa Barbara in a few weeks. I was looking for restaurant rec- recommendations and figured you are the man. No white linen type stuff, but something comparable to like a Petra and the Beast level regards John. Petra and the Beast is a a, a restaurant, I think it's in Dallas, uh, run by this girl Misty Norris who's fucking, she's fucking, that, that's the, like, she, that's some good shit right there. Um, I follow her. She even follows me, oddly enough. Um, great chef, though. But she, so we, within like six minutes, he's like, he just goes, thanks. <laughs> he goes, fond of the lark. And of course, uh, La Superica. I'm like, okay, fuck it. So I f- check in on uh, the lark and La Superica. Well, La Superica is like the greatest taqueria taco stand in like uh, the tri state area. Uh, Julia Child, evidently raved raved about this place uh before she went tits up but uh but it's a little just a little taco stand right like that's what i'm looking for like yes like this guy he gets it like of course he does he's in new york of course he knows his shit right and then the lark well the lark is in uh, the funk zone which is a half half mile from the hotel and um it's kind of a I get it's yeah it's very it's very Petra and the Beast it's very like it's got some cool shit it's not pretentious it's not white linen it's funky it's a little eclectic it's got a little bit of everything it's stylish and uh, it's it's done we are there that's where we're going so my patterns my patterns kind of help me out you know listening to uh, Bukowski uh you know, foraging for dinner recommendations and, uh, and just, just all around, just good vibes this time of year, heading south again. Oh, and yeah, Santa Barbara, like right across from the Channel Islands, which that's where, Cat, you know, Catalina, Catalina Island, part of the whole Channel Island chain. So here I am, same time last year, down in the Channel Island chain, listening to Bukowski. That sawed off alcoholic, that grumpy ass alcoholic. And, uh, but only this time we'll be in Santa Barbara. It's all good. Interesting shit though, huh? And it all kind of, it all kind of came from a, uh, break, breaking out of my rut at a dollar, at a dollar tree, buying a dime store novel for a buck, you know? So let it be said, you can, you can, you can kind of bust out of your, you can kind of bust out of your rut if you, it just takes a buck. <laughs> Busting out of your rut. It only takes a buck. Ah! All right. And that's about it. That's about the size of, uh, that's about the size of the uh, fucking rutabaga on this one. All right. So um, that does it for another, that does it for another lively installment of car. I hope you enjoyed it. And I'll talk at you later. Arrivederci, baby.